Well, it's a great honor for me to be standing on this pulpit, uh, sh sharing a pulpit from great men such as uh, Elder Charles and uh, Pastor Ryan and uh, the others that came before him. And uh, with great honor comes the great danger of uh, pride and ego and building up and, you know, your own oneself. So I just want to clearly state the obvious. Um, I, the fact that I'm not sitting there tonight, uh, this morning, and I'm standing here in front, does not mean that I am any better than anyone else, that I'm superior to anyone else. I'm a beggar in the house of the Lord. And today, if there is any good coming out of my mouth, if there is any blessing from the Lord, it is solely dependent on the Lord. It is just by the grace of God Almighty. I don't rely on my knowledge. I don't rely on my lack of knowledge. I don't rely on my preparation or my prayers or anything else, my righteousness. I only rely on the only way, the only reason I'm standing in front of you today and I'll speak authoritatively is because I rely on this word. I believe in the word of God that has power to save and to build us up. So I invite you to turn to the uh, letter of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2. And uh, before we read verses 1 to 5 in chapter 2, I just want to give you a brief overview of chapter 1 and the book itself. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a church or a group of churches in um, the region of Ephesus, which is uh, modern-day Turkey, the west coast of Turkey. And Paul is writing a letter for that church located there. And in chapter 1, he focuses on God's deeds, God's actions, God's goodness. We read this morning that in verse 3 of chapter 1, he says that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he mentions things like uh, being adopted as sons and forgiven and redeemed. And our spiritual inheritance, just the fact that we would actually have an inheritance from God is amazing. We that were uh, enemies of God. So, chapter 1, he focuses on God, God's deeds, God's actions. And in chapter 2, he shifts the focus to us, to our deeds, to our um, behavior. And that's what we want to focus on this morning. A brief word of prayer, again, just before we start. Let's pray. Father Lord, I have great expectations for this morning. These expectations are not based on my words, but on your word. On my performance, but on the dependence of the Holy Spirit who can open the eyes of our hearts, who can speak to us, and your word that can, it's a two-edged sword that can cut through marrow and bone. Father the Lord come and do a miracle this morning. I expect nothing but a miracle, a miracle of savoring your glory, of believing and repenting. I pray, Lord, for 
the glory of your name and the good of your people come this morning and speak to us through your word. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 5. Let's read. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love, which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He's talking about here, obviously, not uh, a physical death. He's saying that we, outside Christ, we were dead spiritually. We were not potentially dead. We we're not sick. We were fully dead, completely dead, really dead. Okay? And the cause why we were dead, the cause of our death, the spiritual death, was our trespasses and sins. Trespasses and sins is just two words to explain the same thing which basically is our disobedience, our wrongdoings, our failure to conform to the law of God. These are our actions and our attitude of the heart. Sometimes we focus on the actions like adultery, fornication, uh, lying, stealing. But he also includes in our sins and transgressions our attitudes of the heart, our jealousy, our anger, our selfishness. And then it says, verse 2, you keep your Bible open, we're going to be looking at each uh, word there, hopefully. Uh, in, it's just going to take two hours, but we'll get through. <laughs> verse 2, in which you formerly, in which you formerly walked. So, in our deadness, we were dead. Why? Because of our transgressions and sins. And in our transgressions and sins, we walked. We consistently behaved according to our own sins. We conducted ourselves in a pattern of sinfulness. Okay? Verse 2, he continues, according to the course of this world. So now, let's just look in how this works out. How does a person dead, spiritually dead, Walking according to their own sins looks like. What does that look like? So one, bondage to the world. Two, bondage to the devil. Three, bondage to our sinful nature. One, bondage to the world. According, so we are living, we are walking according to the course of this world. It doesn't mean the physical earth. He means the way of thinking of this world, okay? The earth is populated by people 
fallen in sin and people create laws, create culture, create beliefs and they create ways of behaving, right? And he's saying here that we were walking according to a worldly way of thinking, a evil way of thinking, a, a, a mindset, a set of values stipulated by culture, stipulated by society that goes against God's will, goes against God's commandments, right? So here he's looking at the fallen world and humanity in the fallen world, corrupt by sin, have uh, behaved and in their, uh, have standards and ideas and values and purposes and goals and intentions that go against their own creator. And he's saying that we are under bondage to that way of thinking. We are living according to the world and not according to God's law, according to God's will. So what he is really looking at in this first step is an external human influence. External human influence. We were uh, influenced by people around us, by society around us, culture around us. Some examples we may mention is teachers or uh, colleagues or parents, friends, famous people we look up to in media. Uh, the government and its laws and its indoctrination and the agenda of the world. And he's saying that we are walking according to that way of thinking. We were slaves and the bondage to the way that this world thinks and we could not discern what was good and right and, and bad. So one, we are we were under bondage to the world. Number two, we were under bondage to the devil. Read with me. Verse 2. According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So the prince of the power of the air. Don't let the language confuse you. It's uh, another way to refer to the devil. The prince means a ruler. The power means authority. The air means the, way, the place that the devil and its demons um, the realm that they believe, the abode of spiritual evil beings. Okay? So he's saying that the devil was ruling over us. The devil had a dominion, authority, jurisdiction over us. Christ called the devil the ruler of this world. Paul Elsewhere says the God of this world, referring to the devil. In 1 John 5.19 we read, We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Alright? So the devil, being our father, outside Christ, was ruling over our lives. And we were imitating him, we were believing his lies and we are giving in to his temptations we are under the bondage of the evil one of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience so he shifts the focus from the past goes to even now the sons of disobedience have the devil working in them so what does he mean he means this that the devil 
works, he brings about, he achieves, achieves, he works out things in people's lives. And he's so effective, he's so effective in working out, in influencing people's lives, that they are called what? Children of disobedience. Their way of living is so characterizing, characterized by disobeying God that they are even called children of disobedience. He's not really, really here talking about people that are specially um, uh, possessed by devil or demons. As you're going to see in verse 3, he's talking about really everyone outside Christ are under the influence, the domain, the control of the devil. Right. So, external influence, the world. Spiritual influence, the devil. Supernatural, demonic influence. And we were behaving, we were obeying those influences. You see the point? We behaved like our father, the devil. We gave in to his temptations, we believed his lies. Third, bondage to the flesh. So bondage to the world, bondage to the devil, bondage to the flesh. Verse 3. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So among them... He doesn't mean that, you know, the sons of disobedience, he's, he's referring to the sons of disobedience, among them, among the sons of disobedience who are being influenced by the devil, under the control of the devil, he's not saying that they were living, he was living, we were living among them in the sense that the sons of disobedience are disobeying here, and I'm really obeying God. No, 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 no. He's saying we as a group, as a human race, we all were sons of disobedience, and we together were all formally living in the lusts of our flesh. Please note, lusts doesn't necessarily only mean sexual immorality, although it does mean that, but it, it goes beyond that. It is uh, all the passions and desires and inclinations of our flesh. We were living, we are under bondage, we are obeying the influence of our own flesh. What does the flesh mean? It doesn't mean blood and flesh in the physical sense. He is talking about the core of our beings outside Christ being corrupting sin. Our fallen nature as human beings, we were corrupt, we are sinful, and He's saying that we are under the bondage of those desires, of those ways of thinking, of those ways of behaving. So, in our very core, our very core, we as human beings are fallen and self-centered. We are corrupt. And then he says that we were indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Flesh, mind, different words meaning the same thing. Okay? He's saying mind just so that we get it. The very root of our being, where our ideas are formed, 
yeah, where our thoughts are created, where our goals and our satisfaction is there, right there at the root of our beings, in our souls, of souls, we were corrupt and we were following its desires. So, we looked at external influence the world, demonic influence or supernatural influence the devil, and now we're looking at internal influence. And usually, when we talk about these things, we are, you know, the, the question comes up with regards to free will. Do we have free will or are we just some robots and programmed to do um, sin or something else? Let me make this very clear. We have intellectually, physically, full free will. We can choose whatever we want. The problem is not that we cannot choose physically, mentally, intellectually. The problem is that we don't want to. Right? The problem is not so much the world influencing us, is that when they influence us, when they teach us, we love it. We accept it. We embrace it. The problem is not so much that the devil is working out against us and influencing us and tempting us, but that we are giving in to his temptations. And when we are fallen in sin because of the devil's temptations, we love it. That's all we wanted. The problem is that we love sin more than we love anything else. So. Bondage to the world, bondage to the devil, bondage to our sinful flesh, our sinful nature. So, the world provides us a rough, abusive, wicked environment, but it's still our choice on how to respond to those wicked environments. The devil tempts us, acts against us, brings calamity to our lives outside Christ, but it's still our choice to how to respond to Him, to give in to temptation, to curse God because of the calamity, and not trust Him. Remember, Christ was tempted, but He never sinned. He never gave in to the devil's lies or the devil's temptations. So, think about Think on this, uh, consider this illustration. The devil is making the poison. The world is telling us the poison is good and you should drink it. But we are the ones, they are taking the drink and actually drinking it outside Christ. And not only we are drinking it, but we sip on it and it's like, this is sweet. I love it. I love the sin that is destructing, that is poisonous that is killing my soul. I love it and I cannot have enough of it. And that's our human nature. That's our human condition outside Christ. Indulging in the desires of the lusts of our souls. You know, sometimes people are confronted, you know, people are under bondage to all of this. We see even ourselves, if we are honest, we look back, 
Many of us will see this. That we are under a bondage to the world, to the devil, to our own sinful nature. And sin was just wrecking our lives. Destroying everything around us. And some people come and provide reason. Provide truth. Provide light. And explain to us, look what your actions or look at the consequences of your actions. Your sins are destroying you. It's destroying your family. It's destroying everyone around you. And in a moment of lucid thinking, some people even say, yes, you are right. Yes, it is awful. This poison is, is killing me. It's killing everyone around me. I'm, I'm quitting. I'm giving up. I'm leaving. And what happens? Passes a day, a week, a month, they are back to it. Seven times worse. Why is that? It's because the problem is not so much the environment around us. The problem is not so much the devil. The problem is us. We are under bondage to sin and we can do no other but sin. And we love it. So, what are we to do? There are external influences, there are demonic influences, there is the internal influence. What can we do? How shall we escape? Some people to escape from the world, from worldly influence, the external influence, they'll go to a jungle somewhere, they'll go to the wilderness, they'll, you know, get by themselves off grid, They'll throw their cell phones away and they have no internet, no antennas, no radio, no people around them because the people will bring, you know, their own way of thinking and tradition and culture and evil uh, ideas. So they just isolate themselves trying to escape from the world. Fair enough. But what do you do with the devil? The devil is the prince of the power of the air. He lives in a spiritual realm. How are you going to run from the spiritual realm? Well, some people think they can put some crystals around. And that will, you know, take care of that. Or they'll go to the witch doctor and ask him to, you know, kill a chicken or something. Spill some blood and try to appease the devil. Try to appease the demons. Some people will even come. They have no relationship with Christ. They don't know God, but they'll come to a pastor and ask, can you bless me? Because I'm under curse. The devil was after me. You know, things are happening. I, I want to flee from the devil. Well, even if that was possible, if that was possible to isolate yourself from external influence, isolate yourself from the spiritual influence, what do you do when your worst enemy is yourself? What do you do when you need to escape from your own self? Verse 3 says, By nature, children of wrath. Verse 1, he said, We are dead because of our sins and transgressions, transpasses. He is saying, By nature, we deserve God's full wrath. As John Calvin said, we are born in sin. Sorry, we live, we are born dead and we live as dead people. 
We, at the very root of our core of our being, we are dead people. We have been created fit for hell. We are created fit for God's holy, righteous anger as the punishment for our sins and the sins of our father, Adam. Verse 3 ends, even as the rest, just like everyone else. It's not just some people that are especially in the bondage of sin. Some of us look, you know, it's more evident, but we are all very much dead spiritually. We are all very much under bondage to the devil, to the world, to our sinful nature. What needs to happen? You must be made alive by God Almighty. Let's read again verses 1 to 3. Pay attention to the past tense. This has taken place already for these Ephesians. And I wish all of us could be, say the same tonight. Verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So, while we were following the course of this world, while we were fall, you know, indulging in our wicked desires, while we were obeying our ruler, our previous father, the devil, Christ worked out for us a salvation. While we were achieving sin, condemnation, destruction, and death, Christ achieved our regeneration and our new birth. What happens at the new birth? What does he mean? Well, I don't want to unscrew the inscrutable, but I think one thing is very clear. It is a reversal of this bondage by a changing of our minds. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So the devil blinded our minds, our eyes, to see the truth for what it really is. And we are also under bondage to sin, and that limits us. It does not allow us to see truth and reality. We can, outside Christ, understand the gospel. We can see the logical links. We can look at the evidence. But the conviction, the full trusting in the gospel comes only by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we are dead spiritually. It's like a, a person born blind, trying to judge, investigate a painting. A person that has been born blind cannot faithfully judge, discern, investigate a painting. The same way we 
blind cannot discern, investigate, judge spiritual things. Psalm 119, 103 says this, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So God gives us the ability to see the preciousness of His character, the preciousness of His work, living, dying, and raising again for our sake. He gives us eyes to see and spiritual taste buds, as it were, to taste. And now, the poison is bitter, disgusting. We are able to drink it or sip it and we know, we realize, we have discernment to see that it is a destruction. And we look at the Word of God and we drink from it like a living well and we are refreshed and we, it tastes sweet for us because it's given us the capacity to see what is really there. The Word of God was already there. The holiness of God and all that is wholesome and good and His plan for salvation was already there from the beginning. The problem is we couldn't see it. And seeing it, we couldn't believe it. Now, He gives us the ability not only to see it for what it really is and rejoice and delight and be satisfied by it, but to put full trust on it. And that's what He means when He says, Christ has made you alive, or God has made you alive in Christ. So, we are living according to the worldly standards and values. But Galatians 1.4 says, He gave Himself for our sins, so that He might rescue us from this present evil generation or age. He rescued us from this world. We were enslaved by his arch enemy, the devil. But Colossians 1.13 says, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are indulging, delighting, loving everything that is against God's holy character. But now, Psalm 16.11 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. For that to happen, to change from bondage to sin, and delighting in sin, and indulging in sin, to delighting in the Word of God and His will, His righteousness, and His work, a supernatural act must happen. And that has been achieved for these Ephesians in Jesus Christ. I would like to apply this now, one application for those who are outside Christ too, and two applications for those who are, have been born again. So, an application, if you are outside Christ, if you are outside Christ right now, we are still dead in your sin. That means that if you are dead, there is no amount of commitment, of self-will or willpower that will change the root of your problem. You cannot change your external behavior. 
truly. You might stop doing drugs, but then you might start getting drunk. You might stop fornication or adultery, but then you'll start pornography. So we're not really, outside of Christ, able to fully live a moral life. But even if we were, how do you deal with your heart? How do you deal with your thinking? How do you deal with your pride, your arrogance, your selfishness? Your greed. The heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. You see, you're trying to add a little morality to your life to improve it. You're trying to add a little bit of religion to make your life better. What you're trying to do is like someone putting a cherry on top of a cake. A sweet, nice little cherry on top of a cake. The problem is your cake is rotten, is spoiled and full of worms. There is no amount of cherries you throw at this cake that will make it sweet again, whole again. You know what needs to happen with the cake. It needs to be thrown away and made new. And that's what I'm offering you today. That's what God is offering you today in this word. You can also be made alive in Christ. You're trying to preserve your life, but you're already dead in your sins. You're trying to save what has been already lost. A union with Christ is necessary. Verse 5 says, He made us alive together with Christ. It's all because of Christ. Without Christ, without Jesus, none of this can happen. He is the one that lived a perfect life. He is the one that died for our sins. And He is the one that was raised up and is now sitting, ruling over the devil, over the world and over even our sinful nature. He is the only one that can achieve what I'm pro proposing today. So, what must you do? You must repent, believe, and be saved. And if you are paying attention, you answer back to me, well, preacher, you just told me I cannot believe, I cannot repent, and I cannot save myself. And that is the very point of it. That's the very point. You cannot save yourself, but Christ can. Verse 4 says, God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love, which He loved us. 5. By grace you have been saved. You see, it's not up to you. It's not based on your righteousness. It's not based on your performance. It's His performance. It's His righteousness. And He is a merciful God. In the, indeed, He has lavished on us who are saved infinite mercy necessary for salvation, for forgiveness. Infinite love. In such a love that caused Him to send His only Son to die for sinners, their enemies, His enemies. So, I plead with you today. Cry out for God, asking Him for mercy. Ask Him for the gift of believing and of repentance, and you shall be saved. 
Now to those of us who profess Christ who have been born again. I wonder if you are feeling discouraged this morning by remaining worldliness and sin in our lives. Discouraged by the suffering around us and disappointment, frustration. Maybe how ineffective our evangelism is and our testimony to our families is. Notice how great a mercy and love He has lavished on us already. He has freed us from the bondage of the world, from the bondage of the devil, from the bondage of our own selves. He has made us alive. It required infinite mercy for this to happen. It required infinite love for this to happen. So, begun by the Spirit, let us not try to finish by our own power. We cannot, brothers and sisters. Draw from God Almighty strength, power, wisdom. He is ready to give what we ask for. And lastly, notice our union to one another. Verse 1, he says, And you were dead. The you there, you cannot see in English, but in the original is a plural you. It means use. Plural. Verse 2, In which you once walked. That's plural as well. Believe me, I checked with a guy that knows Greek. He's dead and uh, he wrote a book. It's called a commentary. Ephesians 2, 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us, plural, we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive. By grace, you, plural, you have been saved. Paul is talking to a group of people. Paul is talking to a local church, an assembly of people born again located in Ephesus. And the Holy Spirit is written this to us and preserved His Word, infallible, inerrant, so that we may notice this very important bit, which is that our union with Christ unites us. We are individuals and saved individually, but we belong to one another. Why? Because we belong to Christ. Because we belong to Christ, we belong to one another. We are not saved by the church, but we are saved into the church. We are individually saved into a group of people. We are individual members of the same body, right? So for those who are true believers, we may not have much in common. Maybe our color or shade of colors are not the same. Maybe we don't come from the same country. Maybe don't even speak the first language, same first language. Like myself, I can't even speak. Maybe we don't have the same job or skills or lack thereof. But there is one thing or two things that we have in common. At the very least, we have this in common, that we were dead in our trespasses and we have all been made alive in Christ. We are very, very dead, infinitely dead. And we are all made infinitely alive in Christ. So where is boasting? Where is prejudice? Where is superiority? Where is inferiority? It is excluded. 
We have no grounds to be feeling superior to anyone else. We have no grounds to be feeling inferior to anyone else. We were all dead and we were all given infinite mercy and love by our Lord Jesus Christ. May He draw near to us and make this true in our lives. God bless you.